0: The following audio is from Grace Fellowship of Westerville. More information about the church is available at www.gracefcwesterville.org. The first thing I want to look at is the very first portion there, and that is the judgment of the world. Emphatically does our Lord state the solemn position of the world and its prince. The world or humanity was actually presented to Jesus during the temptation by Satan, And he presented it in a very wonderful way and tried to get Jesus to to pledge his allegiance to him and he would offer him all of these people. But here Jesus says that his hour was an hour of judicial condemnation. The corruption of the world, the, the radical injury done to the human nature would be judged by this very hour. Sin would be paid for and sin would begin its ultimate death. Now, let me take you to another passage that we looked at weeks ago, and that was John chapter 3, verses 17 through 19. And there we read, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their works were evil. So Jesus didn't come into the world to condemn the world. This is one area that people often get confused at. He came in mercy. He came with a heart of compassion and love. He came to redeem the world. But the very nature of his of his death offered salvation to all who would accept him. On the other hand, those who don't are condemned already. Because as the Bible tells us, as sin passed from one man, therefore sin passed upon all, for all have sinned. So every person born from the time of Adam and Eve to the present time were born sinners in need of a Savior. So this hour Jesus speaks of was to pay the price for sin, but it also solidified the condemnation of those who reject him. So so here's what is made very clear. Christ declares that his own hour, in which the world and its prince would seem to be triumphant, would be the hour when he should cast out of the earth as he had already been cast out of heaven. So the hour that is taking place redeems, pays the price for sin, but also condemns those who will reject him. And this expulsion and destruction of the power of the works of the devil uh, was seen as one key assignment to the Lord Jesus Christ. 1 John 3, verse 8 says, "...whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning." The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. So in essence, Jesus Christ came to destroy the penalty of sin, to defeat it once and for all. So the judgment for the evil one and all who reject Christ is nailed at this time and this hour. So it's important, though, to notice the tenses in this verse, the tenses of the verbs, because when he says, now is the judgment of this world, this is the immediate result of Jesus' death. When he says, now is the rule of this world cast out, this describes an ongoing process that will continue until the, till the great white throne of judgment. And the reason it's taking so long is because Jesus still has people he's calling to himself. And that ought to be one major encouragement to all of us. Because if you're here this morning and you're praying for loved ones and your heart is burdened for people, Rest assured that God is taking his time for that reason, that men and women can still come to Christ. Now, this is all brought about by, as the scripture says, Christ being lifted up. In all of humanity, nothing, no matter how important or how unusual, has had a greater attraction for men and women than the uplifted Christ. There have been attractions that seem to compete for the time. In fact, In the ancient world, men and women used to turn out by the hundreds of thousands to welcome back the Roman emperors and celebrate their victories. But in time, those emperors passed on. In fact, eventually in time, Rome itself was defeated. And down through the ages, there have been many who turned out to praise one leader or another, but thus they're all gone. What attracts men and women today? Sports millions turn out either in person or on tvs to watch their favorite team but even at the peak of excitement and even on the super bowl day there are more people in churches around the world worshiping jesus christ so what's the attraction is it the attraction of mere human personalities they change is it not denominational distinctives no because they're all different the attraction is the uplifted Christ. It is the one who said 2,000 years ago in our text, verse 32, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. So let's take a moment and let's look at the historical Jesus. And let's do it by asking a few questions to really understand what, what he's about here. The first question I want to ask, number one, is who is speaking? Who is speaking? Well, the answer is Jesus, the Jesus of history. Notice it is not an imaginary Christ who draws men and women to himself. The speaker was the Lord Jesus Christ himself, not some fictional character, but the Christ of historical fact. This is the Christ who died a real death to save real sinners from a real hell to a real heaven. That's the Christ we're talking about. The situation bears this out because the, the words, as they were spoken, were spoken to the Greeks. You recall we saw this a couple of weeks ago. The Greeks came to see Jesus, and, and they, they were interested. These were real men who presumably were well acquainted with the religious religions and philosophies of their own country. But they had come to a real Jesus because they had found mere philosophy inadequate. And I probably don't have to remind you, that Greece had some of the greatest philosophers of all time. Uh, Men like Plato, Socrates, Aristotle, just to name a few. But these were not saviors, and their philosophies don't satisfy. The Greeks knew this, and it was no myth that they came to, but a flesh-and-blood Jesus, A savior whose reputation was already starting to spread out from Jerusalem. And they were interested because he didn't teach philosophy. He actually paid a price. He didn't give ideas and concepts. He actually walked and took upon him the cross to pay the price. Let's ask another question. In what aspect is this historical Jesus presented? In what aspect is this historical Jesus presented? Well, he is being presented as being lifted up from the earth. And in the following uh, verse, 33, he said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. Clearly, he was referring to his crucifixion. And the point of the verse is that it's the crucified Christ alone that draws people. In an earlier study, uh, we looked at a theme in in John chapter 8, verse 28, which says, So Jesus said to them, When you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He, and that I do nothing on my own authority but speak just as the Father taught me. We saw that the idea of lifting up Christ in our preaching and in our messages would would draw men to Jesus Christ. And of course that's true. But here he's referring to the historical Jesus being lifted up in death. It is the Christ of Calvary who draws. It is the Christ whose blood was shed and whose body was broken. It is the Christ who gave himself in the place of sinners so that he might bear in himself the proper justified wrath of God. You see, Jesus died so we don't have to. And that's a key thing to to understand. Spiritually, he died, so we don't have to. Jesus paid it all. No amount of our good works can satisfy. Preach any Christ, but the crucified Christ, and you won't draw men for long. They may come to enjoy the fellowship, and they may come for the entertainment factor, but they will not be there for the duration. Only the crucified Christ draws men and women. For only the crucified Christ reveals the great love of the Almighty God and and provided a Savior whom we need. That's why John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This is a Savior who died for men while they were dead in their trespasses and sins. This is a Savior who loved people exactly how they were. They didn't have to clean up their act and get right. He loved them right where they are. And it is the drawing of this uplifted Christ that draws men and women to him. The third question then is, what does the historical Jesus promise to do? Well, he promised to draw people. Now, Here, we have some strong theology, and we really need to pay close attention to where this is going. For one thing, this reveals the need of men and women. If they need to be drawn to Jesus, then it follows that apart from the grace and drawing of Jesus Christ, they're apart from God. And if they are separated from him, then they are separated from everything good and in need of a savior. And it is not just a small or insignificant separation we're talking about here. Because Romans chapter 1 verse 21 through 23 says, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. And their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things so we learn from romans and also from john that men and women are far away from god people go through this life every day going to their jobs and going to their homes and going to reunions and doing all the things they do thinking their lives are good not knowing they are literally separated from god they rely totally on their own ability and their own reason. So, there's another point of theology here. Not only are men and women separated from Christ, they are also separated from him in such a deep and profound way that they will not even come to him on their own. In, the, in other words, their very will is captivated by sin. Now I know we've, we've referred to 1 Corinthians 2.14 quite a bit, but let me break it down for you this morning. It says the natural person. That means the unsaved person. That means the person who at, po- at this point has no relationship with God. Okay, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. I mean, it's just foolishness to them and he they're foolish to him, and he is not able to understand them because they're spiritually discerned so here's the here's the problem with the unregenerate man they try to reason and understand the bible they try to reason and understand the things of the spirit with no sanctified spirit so the only thing they can do is perceive concepts and things in their own mind and reason them based on their own understanding but the verse is clear that they're never going to understand them they're never going to understand it uh, accept it it's always going to be foolishness to them why because they have to be spiritually discerned so here's the problem we have a work of grace needs to take place in their heart they need to be drawn to Jesus Christ. And this is why people outside of Christ can't understand spiritual things. It's spiritual discernment that the Spirit gives. And without that, they can never grasp it. Now, let me just make a statement here because based on this reality, there's something that I think you and I as Christians really need to get a hold of. Okay, Because we're so prone to criticize politicians. We're so prone to criticize all the bad things we see out there. Did you ever stop and think that apart from Christ, they know another way to do it? Did you ever stop and think that what they need is to be given love and compassion, not condemnation? You see, what people come to know about Christians is what they're against, not what they're for. People need to... People come to know about Christians that they're against this and they're holier than thou and they elevate themselves up, forgetting that we were once just like them. And it's only by the crucified Christ lifted up that draws men. So what you and I need to do is let them see Christ. I mean, that's the passion of what he's trying to say. And that's the, the passion of the uplifted Christ. We try to meet them on their turf with their arguments instead of being... Loving, And when you follow the life of Jesus on this earth, whenever he was confronted, he always spoke back with love and compassion. He never condemned. Because, as we saw in John, he didn't come to condemn. He came to pay the price for sins. And so long as you and I are alive on this earth, and so long as the Holy Spirit dwells us, our number one mission as a church is and as individuals ought to be loved the world to Christ. That's why I call say some people I call this Grace Fellowship Hospital. Because that's what it is. And I hope that everyone outside of Christ would could walk in these doors and feel feel welcome. Because it is the power of a loving Christ that draws men. And that's what he is taking us to here. They will never change until the Savior changes them. Don't be offended. Why Jesus had turned the other cheek. Don't take it personal. Don't get angry. Pray for them. Lift them up. Hold them close to your heart. Shower them with prayer that, that they can't get away from. And let God do his drawing. And so naturally, this brings us to the next point, and that Jesus said that he will draw men, not drive men. People are drawn to Christ, not uh, Christ not driven to him. Some think that men must be driven to him so they preach the law and fear and condemnation. Now now let me say here quickly, lest I be misunderstood. The law indeed is our schoolmaster and it leads to Christ, Galatians 2.24. And the law is part of God's word and it needs to be preached. But what we need to understand is in the way it's preached and the way it's communicated. Hosea 11.4, I led them with cords of kindness with the bands of love. And I became to them as one who eases the yoke of their jaws. And I bent down to them and fed them. I mean, this is Almighty God. He has such loving compassion for us. And, and if you just stop and meditate on the reality that this God who created us... We rebelled against the Creator. But He loved us so much that He took His Son, came to earth in the form of the created, and endured unspeakable brutality to secure your salvation. That is who we are. Can we have that same compassionate love of Christ who loved me with his life and go and love people who hate me? I mean, think about it. People reviled God. You you look at some of the people in Scripture. I mean, you look at the Apostle Paul. Part of his existence was stamping out Christianity. He headed up people being murdered for the cause of Christ. And yet that same Paul, Jesus regenerated and made him one of the mightiest evangelists the world has ever seen. If he can do that with Paul, he can do it for you and I. So as you and I look at the world around us, don't see anger and frustration. See lost. Don't see people who need to be dealt with. See people who are just the way you and I were. But God showed us mercy. Let us show them mercy. Let us show them the way to come to Christ. Matthew 11, verse 29 through 30. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Does this sound like a condemning Savior? Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. Let me give you rest. Let me soothe the wounds that depression you're struggling with, give it to me. Let me heal you. The fear that you fear because you don't know what tomorrow brings, come to me. Cast it on me. You know, you and I can carry a thousand pounds if it's one inch off our shoulders. And Jesus is saying, let me bear the weight of your pain. That's the God we serve. And that is the God we must share outside these doors. The compassion. Men and women are separated from Christ and will not come to him of their own will. Yet he draws them to himself and saves them in spite of himself to the praise and glory of God. And he leads them with compassion and love. Now, who can come? Who can come? If he draws all man, who can come? Well, all may come. That's what he says. Now, let's deal with this with two more questions. Number one, who does Jesus promise to draw? Well, the answer is all men. Now, be careful to note that this isn't a statement in sport in support of universalism. This is not promise that every person who ever lived will come to Christ and be saved. Clearly, history proves otherwise. It is not promised anywhere in Scripture that every individual will be saved, but rather that all types of people from every level of life and every race and nation will come to Jesus. The gospel of the crucified Christ has been preached in palaces and halls of state, and many have come. It has been preached in the, in the dirtiest and most dangerous of back alleys of our cities, and the weak and the outcast have come. It has been preached in every country, and millions have come. It has been preached to the advantaged and the disadvantaged, and many have come. So here's the big question. If you're here this morning, and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, will you come? Is He drawing you this morning? It doesn't matter who you are, what your background is. My Jesus died, so you don't have. And it is a loving Savior who draws men to himself. Now, the second question then. To whom does Jesus promise to draw people? The answer is obvious, but it's very critical. The answer is to himself. It is not said that he will draw men to any specific church. It's not said that he will draw them to any denomination, sector, movement. He may bless these but that is, but the heart of the text here is that he's drawing people to himself. He is drawing you to a personal relationship with him. I mean, are you tracking with this? He wants to have a personal walk with you. And I think I mentioned this before a couple of weeks ago, but when, when, when he first created Adam and Eve and put him in the garden, The scripture says that he would come and he would walk with them. And they named animals and they talked and they fellowshiped. In fact, when Adam and Eve sinned, Jesus came looking for them and they were hiding. Jesus wants to have a personal relationship. I mean, a daily walk with you. Sin severed it. But when you accept Christ as your Savior, that relationship is reborn. And now the Jesus who came down and walked with Adam and Eve in the garden is the same one who wants to walk with you now. I mean, he's not going to walk alongside you on the street everybody sees him, obviously. But when you accept Christ as Savior, that spirit takes residence within your heart and he wants to lead you and he wants to guide you. And when that fear is on your shoulders, he wants to take it. When you don't know what tomorrow brings, he wants to take it. When you're so concerned about a loved one and you want them to come to Christ and they're just not listening and their life is a mess, when you go to him on your knees in that pure, quiet relationship, he wants to answer that. But you have to be warned you have to give him your life so he draws men to himself now let me make an application here and i want to make it to believers first and then to any unbelievers who might be here this morning first if you are a believer and it is your desire to lead others to jesus christ then please learn from this passage Learn, first of all, that if you would win men and women to Jesus, you must draw them, not drive them. Some people think you can only win people by fear and legalism. Don't ever seek to condemn anyone. Love them for Christ's sake as he first loved you. Show them the love of Christ in your life. Second... Learn as you seek to draw them that it is Christ who does the drawing. He must be the sole attraction. And it is the this is the reason why we constantly preach the exchange life. Because people will look at you and they may see you're clever and you're pretty cool and they may want to be like you. But the reality is when they see Jesus, he draws them. And that's why when John the Baptist was here and Jesus came, he said, no, oh, no, 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 I must decrease, he must increase. And when you witness to people, they must see Christ in you. As you are on your job, in the marketplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, people ought to see Jesus. And that ought to be the number one goal of every one of us. Let your life radiate the love and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Let your light so shine before men that they might see your good works and what? Glorify your Father who is in heaven. Everything about us should radiate the love of Christ. Our motives, our drives, the things that get you up in the morning, the things that excite you, everything about your life ought to be pointed to glorifying Jesus Christ. And he ought to be at the very foundation. Of everything you do. And then finally, if you aren't a believer, and this Christianity stuff has been very confusing because you've seen a mixed message in the world. I get it. I can understand your confusion. But if you aren't a believer in Christ, then learn that he draws men and women to himself. He draws them now as much as he did at any time in history. He's not changed, the value of his death has not changed. People have not changed. Problems haven't changed. The attraction of the Lord Jesus Christ, when lifted up, always draws men to him. And so my question this morning is, is he drawing you? Is your heart ready to surrender? So often we look at our life and the things we believe and the things we want, and we go, no, I'm not ready for this yet because I don't get this and I don't get that. It's okay understand that all Jesus is doing is drawing you to himself. And he wants to provide you a free gift of salvation so that when you leave this earth, the Bible says to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Think of how wonderful it is to know once you've accepted Christ that no matter what happens on this earth, ultimately, you will be with him for eternity. And that is the driving force. Accept his free gift of love. Come just as you are. You don't need any plea. You don't need anything to be done. You don't have to make restitution. You don't have to clean up your act and get it right. He doesn't want you to do any of that stuff. He just wants the surrender of your heart. He is the one who will clean you up and make it right. He is the one who will mold you into his likeness. He is the one that will change your heart to desire the things he wants. And that's why I always quote Psalm 37, 4, which says, delight thyself also in the Lord. He'll give you the desires of your heart. It's not saying he'll give you anything you want. What he's saying is when you surrender your life to him and give him your life, he changes your heart to want the things he wants. And I can't think of any better way to get up in life, no matter what problems are all over you right now, To know that when you get up, the deepest desire of your heart that day is exactly what God wants for you. And that's a life, folks, cannot lose. Cannot lose. Will you surrender? Will you come to him? Will you come to him this morning? And just, if you know the words of this song, Dan played it for an offertory, but it basically says, just as I am, with no plea, I'm coming to you, Lord. I'm surrendering. And as he plays this song, I'd like us all to bow our heads, and I just want you to talk to your talk to God. If you're a Christian this morning and you say, "You know, I got this. I've got this salvation." But man, my life has not been what he wants me to be. I need to make a surrender this morning. I need to turn my life over to him because I want to get up in the morning and know that my joy is what he wants. But if you're here this morning and you've never trusted you're tired of losing a life and you want to know the free forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then as he prays and all our heads are bowed and everyone's praying, if you'd like to come this morning, please come and we'll meet with you. We'll get somebody to help you. so much for your grace and your mercy. I just pray that you would allow it to just penetrate our hearts and our souls. Help us to know the true unspeakable joy of surrendering to you. That is our my prayer and I know that's the prayer of many Christians this morning. Do the work this morning that you have brought these people to do. And may we surrender to that work. In Christ's name could just stand together dan while you're playing that I, if somebody i'm sure many of you know the words let's just go ahead and just sing that first verse of that song and somebody kathy start us off would you Father, we come this morning just surrendering our lives to you. Do the work in each heart you need to do. And may we all be surrendered to that work. all God's people said,